Signs of Southland for October 29th, 2023. Gentlemen, uh, I have one question for you that came out of the Mini 500 this past Friday. Oh Is the Invention Studio Mini 500 trike cheating or innovation? Mr. Purdy, you have your first up. Cracks knuckles. I texted a friend of mine about this who wrote a long article about the Mini 5 for the Alumni Magazine, and we talked a lot about the uh, Build-A-Trike team and about last year's Invention Studio team, so I could like, educate her about everything. And she fell on the side of, like, that was really innovative and very tech of them. Like, I don't see the problem with this. And then they did it again, where after Rec Club changed the rules, as we mentioned last week, where you have to have a 12-inch axle, basically. They did that, except they turned the axle 90 degrees and just put a little nut of a wheel underneath the seat. So that effectively was two wheels again. But Rec Club's statement that they mentioned about this basically said they did everything right under the rules. They broke, they found they they found a new way to do this. That was great, but this is a tricycle race, and we'll see if they do it again. And sure enough, they did it again. So I think we're just going to see this pattern. Within, this might be a fun battle with Invention Studio now. It's just like seeing, like, all right, how do they reinvent the Mini 500 tricycle? If they can do it again, I think it becomes more of a, like, okay, let's see how creative this can actually get if they're going to go with that route and then let Build a Trike just be stupid fast all the time with the traditional format. Mr. Grant, as a resident ME, I assume you have many opinions on this. Actually, not too many. Um, I think that it's kind of, uh, I don't know if the, the third wheel isn't touching the ground, seems to be a little bit against the spirit of a tricycle. But in terms of like actually going and putting something together, um, I think they're creative and I like creativity. It's the same reason why contraptions are my favorite part of Rec Parade if we're staying on the... Uh, homecoming yeah. trend so i i don't really necessarily fault them for it um i i don't know I, i'd rather see people invested enough that they're trying to do oddball out of the box type things like this and you know you you make do you you, you make an adjustment to the rules at some point that's just kind of that's how it goes i mean not to take this too far away from homecoming but isn't that the same conversation we're having about the tush push and and the eagles and and whatnot right. yeah basically yeah well, well, you see, the tush push is should be explicitly banned because Philadelphia does it, and anything that Philadelphia does should just be banned outright. Should we explain what that is for somebody who might not know? Yes, please. So basically, there's a strong NFL discourse going on uh, where uh, it's seen in many circles as unfair against uh, you know arbit- rules arbitrage. Uh, that Philly can just get some big burly boys uh, and push uh, push the ball over to a to to secure a first down. Is that the an acceptable way of describing uh, it? Yeah, uh, two sentences. TLDR: They use what basically two offensive linemen, two more offensive linemen behind Jalen Hurts to push him over yes. the first down mm-hmm. marker, yeah. which completely mm-hmm. legal, a little dangerous, but completely legal, and uh, certain parties in the NFL are crying foul, uh, which I guess is their want to do. But to get back on track here, to their credit, Invention Studio at least had a third wheel of some sort. They did. There was and another it, it was team. Touching, it was touching the ground. Like, it was the size of a quarter, but it was touching the ground. So it, it was a tricycle, heavy, heavy air quotes, 
but it was it in, was but technically it was in, a tricycle. It was in line with the other two wheels, so it was a three yeah, wheel thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't. That, it, it was not a I tricycle. It, it was not a functional wheel. No, it was not. It was merely for show. It was decorative. To be the loop around that technically was within the rules that the new rules that were set. But I I, I mentioned that to say I mentioned that technicality to say there was another another entrant that for all intents and purposes looked like it just had two wheels and i could not figure out who it was oh, it was like really? a jet black a jet black trike i'm going to use trike as a general term here but a jet oh, black trike oh yes there was a second one that i could not find where the third wheel there of was, it was I, I saw that too there was not a third wheel at all that no way that that, that it, yeah i wonder if they had it uh, as removable uh, and they just pulled it off before they started the race uh, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe they were they didn't have all the details about how last year's Invention Studio trike worked and thought that was two wheels technically or what, and not the two back wheels smashed together. Uh, who knows? I, I it didn't matter. They they weren't they were not gonna. Anyway, they didn't either. finish the race and then smash <laughs> the trike, so they're gonna get banned for a year anyway. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. It really does not matter, gentlemen. Uh, shall we get on to the important business of the afternoon? We have Nishant, another fellow football writer here, to discuss a momentous 46-42 to victory for Georgia Tech on homecoming night versus number 17, North Carolina. Nishant, how are you doing? How did you feel about this one? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I... Uh... Since I moved away about eight years ago, I've tried to come back for at least one game a year um, just to, you know, catch up with people, you know, keep up the streak of catching football games. Um, I have now managed to have the opportunity to rush the field twice as an alum. So being this one and then the Florida State game in 2015. So I'm pretty pleased it. uh, This is the most chaotic tech team I have ever seen. I there are patterns forming. They don't make any sense in terms of whether they're going to win or lose or even play well on a given day. But, you know, that game last night was everything I could have asked for. Um, I wasn't expecting a lot out of the defense against Drake May. Um, and, you know, certainly the beginning of the game played into that. But I was very pleased with how the offense managed to actually find some energy in well 50 percent of the game, at least. I. uh I, I think it's uh, one cool that you're, you know, able able to come back. It's it's uh, I don't know, not that I get numb to homecoming as a concept, but you know, between us being Atlanta based, it's you know, it's a little bit different. We're here every week, well, um, every week that we're actually in town. Um, shoot, I forget where I was going with that, but you know, is the uh, is the homecoming game then one that you're like usually circling or as an alum who lives further away, is it like, eh, as long as I can get to one, I, I'm not going to be choosy. Pretty. It's, um, I don't usually circle out homecoming specifically. Okay. Um, it has worked out that way a few times. Like it happened this year. It happened last year. Um, usually it's just something in October ish. Cause the nature of my job is such that, um, September is our busiest month of the year. So it's kind of hard to come back then. But you know, that said the previous year, I came back for uh, Dragon Con just for the heck of it. So um, I ended up catching the Northern Illinois game. Uh, that was uh, that Delightful. was significantly less fun. Delightful. <laughs> Everyone had much fun at that game. Um, you know, we all learned how to actually say the name DeKalb uh, that week. And so, you know, 
Uh, wow. Wow. My own county. Uh, unbelievable. I guess I was a DeKalb County resident for a little bit there, but oh well. Yeah. Um anyways, um guys, I wanted to talk about one of my favorite concepts before we get into the actual football. And that's that correlation equals causation. Um, Akshay, d- don't at me yet. This is a flawless construct. My Matt ears are closed. I'm on I, mute. I literally have my ears so, going. So blah, for, blah, blah, blah. for behind the scenes in terms of how this, like the, the podcast gets made, Jack had to duck out uh, a little bit early last week. So if you're like, where, where'd he go for the second half of the recording? Yeah, he wasn't there. Um, and I was super pumped because I had all these fun homecoming trivia facts. And I kind of was walking around this week. I was like, mm, text 4-0 against uh, UNC all-time at, at homecoming time. <laughs> so, you know, that's a good stat. Not that it means anything. It literally means nothing in the context of 2023 Georgia Tech football. But it makes as much sense as, that, as anything that now Tech is 5-0 and all-time uh, versus versus UNC and homecoming. Uh, Brent Key 2-0 uh, on homecoming and 4-0 versus ranked ACC programs so yeah uh correlation good work i think we yeah absolutely yeah i want to also add here that this win makes georgia tech i think it's 19 and 6 in the last 25 versus unc which (laughs) uh considering unc has had well will have two top five draft quarterback draft picks uh, after this season in that time span is wild to me. And, and, yeah. and two ranked wins too. Like it, like that doesn't square. Like two of those ranked wins just were it games three ranked wins never. in a row. It's three ranked. Yeah. Wins three in a row. row. Yeah. Three in a row. Two for Brent. Uh, I got to find the tweet that I saw. Yeah. Here it was. Yeah. Tech has four wins over AP ranked teams since Brent key was named interim head coach. So this is about a year at this year. Plus at this point, there are only four teams with more. They are the Alabama Crimson Tide, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, the TCU Horned Frogs, and the Georgia Bulldogs. I don't think and only three uh, of them that we actually count as actual football teams. I, <laughs> um, I, I was going to say, and just to before we get too far from the to the top draft pick quarterback class, that doesn't even count all the rest of the great players that have you know come through there. Quarterback, you know, maybe Sam Howell, fifth round type guy, or even you know the rest of the positions besides like it. UNC's right, right, right. A, yeah, they put like they put good blue, yeah, exactly. They put yeah. good linemen into the pros, which is you know usually the strongest sign of a good program is when you're good in the trenches. So yeah, talent has never been an issue for them, which makes this even funnier. It's hilarious. It's legitimate comedy that UNC was the only ACC team not to lose to Jeff Collins, like. The it's just <laughs> not to it's, beat Jeff Collins or not to, to not beat, to not beat to Jeff beat. Collins. Many, yeah, 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 yeah. Many, I think everyone else did play. Many, team, many teams, uh, many teams beat Jeff Collins. UNC was not one of them, but not to again. It's just so ridiculous that Mac Brown's brain and isn't honestly, it's not even him, it's Gene Chizik's brain just short circuits when it comes to playing Georgia Tech every year. And so it weird. does not make sense to me in any way, shape, or form. Some other stats, uh, just to get a little bit deeper on that point, this was the um, Georgia Tech put up the second most yards in school history against a Power 5 opponent, 635 yards. That stat comes from 
Andy Demetra. Dante Smith had a career night, 178 all-purpose yards. Uh, Ten guys caught passes. And just to really send this one home, Haynes King was 23 for 30 for 287 yards, four touchdowns, uh, and four touchdowns for .62 EPA per dropback which if I'm not mistaken is in the 95th percentile of all quarterback games from the last year. It is an absolutely appalling performance from a UNC defense that I was told at one point was getting its stuff together. I do want to correct an erratum before we get too far down. Uh, Jeff Collins was one and one against UNC. Uh, Uh, UNC did win in 2019. Uh, That was a, a home game as well. Very few Sorry. teams that are that have a 500 or worse record against Jeff Collins. In any case, they lost to Jeff Collins. That is the the bar of competence that I expect. Yes, I think. Anyways, my moment yesterday was I think it was sometime in the third quarter. As this was all playing out, I just paused and was like, "Gene isn't still their defensive coordinator, is he?" And lo and behold, <laughs> I think this is his second stint there, if I remember correctly. And yeah, I think he was there before Auburn, right? He was before he, he got hired to where he I was couldn't hired tell you. Auburn yeah, he no, he so he was Auburn's guy in that in that Cam Newton season, and then Auburn right. went like three and eight the next season once everybody got drafted and left, and then he then he left for North Carolina after that. So that was like 2011, 2012 when he first. Yeah, got I there. think he was fired after Auburn. He was fired after the twenty twelve season at Auburn. He got two years after Cam. Um, so it would have been thirteen when he went to UNC. Which, hey, guess uh, guess what UNC did against Tech that least what well, that year, they had a big lead and they yeah. collapsed and lost. The, um, uh, shoot, what was I gonna say? And though, so the weird thing is, and I'm I'm sure this is something that's you know something we'd circle back on regardless. But the first and the third quarters, I mean, he, yeah, the, the 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 defense Gene Chizik's play like. All that was working really well. To off the top of my head, my box scores on the other screen. It's ten yards that Tech amassed in the third quarter, right? Like, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I, I was literally standing in the stands, and I was like, "Wow, we went from such an exciting second quarter to such a dull third quarter." I wonder what will happen in the fourth. First quarter, we had the ball for nine and a half minutes, couldn't score. Uh, North Carolina was up fourteen. You know, at that point, we had what eighty-eight yards in that. Uh, in that quarter, I want to say, uh, second quarter, we go off the walls. Uh, excuse me while I start the pages. Third quarter, uh, we have the ball for a minute 44. And yeah. get 10 yards. Then the fourth quarter happens. I, I couldn't even be mad that the defense was struggling the way they were in the third because they were on the field the entire time. Right, yeah. Like, that was, I was, once I noticed, like, wait a second, this time possession in this quarter is just terrible for us. That and that was around when, like, the, in these games where we've been in it and lost inexplicably, where things really started to backslide. And it, that that fourth quarter, they had they scored in that fourth quarter when they absolutely had to. I think that was when we got the big Dante Smith run and a couple of those other massive chunk plays that set us up, um, which was insane. I want to go back to the first quarter because, I mean, as you mentioned, Nishan, about like, oh, we were kind of expecting them to run through us because we are of the worst FBS run defenses ever, and it worked that way. Their first two drives, they had runs, run plays. This was mostly a Marion Hampton. Uh, they had run plays of 10, 14, 6, 9, 8, 7, 9, 5, and 17 in the first two drives. It was They were just basically just handing the ball to him, 
and letting him find any gap, any of the three gaps he could pick from. Up, it mostly just would go to the A gap because the A gap was wide open all of the time. Um, and it got better over the game. Like it actually got like I, they kind of defaulted on that. I think a little too hard in that fourth quarter when bleeding clock made sense. Like get the you're up two scores, bleed clock best you can. But they got super super predictable. Like they weren't running even counter plays. They they couldn't even run a jet sweep. Like I figured at least one jet sweep in there. No, not even that. Uh, Haynes made a point in the press conference where because they were really doing a lot of screen plays. Um, and they were intentionally trying to get North Carolina to run side to side a lot and get both axes, both axes in play to make it harder to predict. And North Carolina was not doing that that much. Like that could that could thrash us easily if you can have us guessing on a lot of things. And they did exploit us a number of times where we weren't set and stuff like that. But it, it seems like in the end, Haynes just had a better sense of what to do against the defense than Drake did. I actually want to touch on that from the Georgia Tech perspective as well. Those two drives uh, that. I guess it was more than two drives, but the, when Tech was down 14-0 and had the ball for, I think you said, what, nine, nine, nine minutes, nine, right? Nine and a half minutes, yeah. Nine and a half minutes in the first quarter. That first drive ends in a punt. That second drive ends in a fourth and two from the from the minus 46. Jamal Haynes yep. runs for no gain. Yeah. Um, I'll come back to if that was a good decision or not. I have to actually pull it up. And then the drive, the next Tech drive after that, uh, at which point UNC is up 14-0 as another uh, fourth and go uh, yep. from Tech, but this time at the plus 32. Offhand, I think that when you're down seven and going for it on your own 42, I think I'm fine with that one. I think I'm even more fine with the fourth and three at the plus 32. I think that's one where you definitely have to go, and you're basically at you're basically giving them effectively a touchback. Right. Yeah. A, it's yeah. It's a, it's, a field yeah it's, a, it's a punt plus a few yards. Yeah. Yeah. I think for, I actually think for the other one, um, for the first one, the one that was a fourth and two at the 46, the bot has that as a toss up between a uh, punt and a go. I'm pulling up the UNC, the one at the UNC 32 now. Uh, that one is also surprisingly a toss up. Um, curious. We've so, been, I mean, we've, we've done like, we've been, like that first, our first first drive, uh, was okay. That was there wasn't that much there. That like we got basically almost three and out of. Um, but that second drive when we were down fourteen zero, like we had made some progress. Like we started on our own twenty five on that one. We had a ten yard run. We had a Dante Smith was finally getting into the game and stuff like that. So it wasn't like it felt like we definitely could have. And I don't remember that pass. If that you all remember if that pass to Rutherford was like catchable or was that on Haynes? I'm forgetting what the deal was there. Um, either way, they had a billion plays to get three yards. Like in hindsight, they should have gotten that. They probably could have gotten on the ground if they wanted to. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're at fourth and three on the plus 32, it's like you have most of your playbook open to you at that right, distance. Right. Yeah. Uh, both because you have the vertical space and you know, and you have a short yards to gain. It, it's still one yeah. play, but there's so many options, especially when you're able to get push on this drive in the run game. Uh, which I think think you mentioned, Haynes King runs for 10 yards. Jamal Haynes yep. gets one, so you can toss that one out. But Dante Smith gets four, Dante Smith gets 11, Jamal Haynes gets four. So you're a, you've been able to get chunk plays off. Um, there is definitely a call of the playbook where you could have gotten three on, on the ground, but um, at the same time, Haynes was able to get to 
Uh, Haynes King was able to get the Malik Rutherford for 10 on this drive. He's able to get the Malik Rutherford for three, right? He, he's mm-hmm. able to make those intermediate passes that gives you confidence that you can go either run or pass in this situation. And it just ends up not working out, which, yeah. I mean, I think it's still good process to get to that point where you're saying, okay, we're fourth and three at the 32. We are going for it. We're trying to win on the margins there. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Let's, I wanted to make sure that I got that. That was there. good. Let, let's make sure we note about Dante. Like, of course, this was the game. Paul Johnson got his Hall of Fame introduction or introductory thing. Uh, his name is now permanently affixed on the interior of the stadium next to Calvin Johnson's name on the row of College Football Hall of Famers. Um, they'll have the plaque for that permanently affixed here on at Bobby Dodd somewhere, probably in the Edge building or whatever that building becomes when that gets redone. Um, but it was notable that like he was a Dante, Dante, he recruited Dante Smith and he's here for an extra, he came for the extra year and he got to, and Dante's like been missing. He had, it hasn't been an injury thing. Um, keep clarified in the press conference that it wasn't a disciplinary thing either. It just, I, I, he just made it seem like it was just time for that card to get used basically is how he framed it. And also a gazillion a gazillion rushing yards in front of Paul like all of this happening in front of Paul is so cathartic of what like uh, from like the first play in that spring game with Collins where they check out of the option triple option and throw us a, a ball over the middle it's like okay we're doing this now and even with King which is who is on track to have like one of the better tech passing seasons ever it's still just incredible that we that we got to merge all of these moments into one game and kind of wrap up the storylines. Uh, poor Dante's parents, they wanted to find Paul after the game, but because the, the, the field got stormed, they couldn't find Paul afterwards. And I'm sure Paul did not need to be inside that massive human beings. Um, but oh, like, hold he, on, he absolutely should have been because then we would have we, we could have gotten another classic Paul Johnson wags his tongue to the camera gif moment. <laughs> Something like that, Which yeah. Is is truly the greatest gift that that FSU uh, FSU game gave us. Yeah. I, I want to. I finished My... on Dante too, just to give his stat line: twenty two carries, one hundred and seventy eight yards, one touchdown, point four two EPA per play. So that just to contextualize how good of a game he was actually having. You know, Jay, like, go ahead. I was going to say uh, I have one more Paul note that I want to get out there. Um, I know when they put uh, Calvin Johnson into the hall, they kind of unveiled a banner uh, on the side of the stadium. Obviously, we have all the coaches and players listed out there. I think that would also probably at some point be something to look for um, in terms of recognition. I have no idea when that would be. I know they just redid those banners a couple of years ago, but uh, that would be the other thing that I would at least keep an eye out for to to uh, getting his recognition out there and on Dante um, all, all flowers to him. He had, he had the performance. I think that we've you know kind of hoped that would come along this year with how long he's uh, been a really great contributor on this team. There was one, uh, there was one specific drive. I don't think it was the one that let tech take the lead. I think it was the one before that, where essentially they ran, they just were like handed Dante, handed Dante, handed Dante. Stop it if you can, UNC. And they didn't. They got him all the way down the field. And it took me back, honestly, to one very old memory because my freshman year was Paul's first year. And I remember one game against uh, Virginia where they ran rocket toss to Roddy Jones on the first play and got like 20 yards. They ran rocket toss to Roddy Jones again, got another first down. They ran it again, got another first down. And it was 
like that drive with that drive where they just handed on Terry Peely was so vintage Paul Johnson just we're running the same thing until you stop it. Right. Yeah. Just it stop really it. Was. And it then really you'll get was. something. It really was. Uh so when we're on the drive, uh it's immediately got... after the missed field goal for UNC because I see it there's that one in the feed here. Two drives um, before... and then they also did it before that too. Yeah, two drives before that. He runs the ball four times in a row. Five yards, seven yards, nine yards, six yards, then a 14-yard pass to Christian Leary, and then they do the same thing with Jamal Haynes. 29-yard run, six-yard run, eight-yard run, four-yard run, touchdown. The drive you're referring to, Nishant, uh, which is the one that got us up for, up to 46, 42. The Haynes kick 52-yard run. Dante for 10, Dante for 14, and then Dante for two, uh, and then for negative four. Uh, before, uh, well, that he, he gets to the goal line on that 14-yard run, basically. We're at fourth and extremely short. Um, and if we got maybe a little too predictable there on that next play when you're at fourth and short and that's been happening. Uh, but then Brett Seether got that toe down, that left toe down. I don't know if y'all saw on, on the replay, but he catches the ball and his left foot is just, just leaving. And he just barely, he get he just barely toe taps it like about three inches from the sideline. His right foot was going out the whole way. Um, and in the, I, I asked him in the press room, like, did you know you had that left foot down? He's like, yeah, I thought I had it down. He just didn't know if he had gotten pushed out before, like right before as he was dragging that foot. But he he knew that foot was coming down at the right moment. So uh, incredible. And Brett had Brett had two touchdowns too. Uh, this this game does not happen without a very nice long Brett Seether touchdown for like what thirty five ish something yards like that. Um, and then this one, there was a lot of touchdowns in this game, y'all. There was a lot of touchdowns. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, that's kind of a beautiful thing. We get to say, oh, yeah, that that touchdown, this touchdown, that right, touchdown, yeah. you know, the one. And then that, that's a crazy thing. Like, you're going to say, oh, that Brett Seether touchdown, you know, in three, four, five, six, eight years when you talk about this game. Yep. And the proper answer to that is going to be which one. I mean, it was a that, <laughs> that's what happens when. Um, yes, and I, and yes. I think I've been I've been sitting on this take, too. Um one thing that I think we kept circling around, even in the Miami game, which was a, a, a good win, you know, we don't have to relitigate that. But um, it feels like the first, uh, I guess, complete game. We've like obviously giving up 42 points and all those yards is a lot of yards. Uh, letting Drake May get 11 and a half points uh, or yards per play um, is a lot of yards. Um, right. But I think this is as close to a complete game game i feel like that we've seen from tech i mean there, there are a couple big stops not the most sacks in the world but uh, certainly against the highest level of competition we've seen and it's going to take that and um and, and you know that i think akshay your your uh phrasing might have been the the dreaded proof of concept but it wasn't a perfect game but between the offense and the defense there were certainly um more moments distributed between both sides of the ball, I think, than we've seen in a couple of the other key tech games this year. Yeah, it felt like if we were going to win this game, relying on the defense was not a thing to hope for, so you kind of had to think it was going to be a shootout at that point. Uh, and oh, they played some Big 12 football. That's what happened, and we had the three stops we needed to make, at two or three stops we had to make at the end. And, got, and granted, also North Carolina penalized, got some terrible, pe- terrible penalties that they did not need to be committing. Uh, at all, we had a couple on our own, of course, but they had some uh, not good ones at the end there. So I remember the, the, the penalty yards was pretty significant. I think it was Carolina had eight for sixty-five. We had like three for nineteen or something. Yeah, yeah, and that's something, something that I actually wanted to come back to from an advanced stats perspective too. So from a team or in terms of team EPA, like total 
all factors, all facets of the game included. UNC got doubled up on EPA, and it was not like Drake May making mistakes and, and costing his team EPA in like actual scrimmage plays. It was they missed a field goal. They had a couple of uh, they they had some issues on, on punting. I think there were a couple of inefficiencies there. They had um, the one block, and then yeah. yeah, the one block, and then they had almost a touchdowns worth of. EPA lost in terms of penalties. I mean, it's 5.446 to take it for what you will, but it's, uh, but when you put all that together, they had an offensive EPA of 23 and a half and that gets uh, bumped back down to 16. uh, When you look at it all considered and tech had 33 or just about 34 total. So it's just, it's just a lot of indiscipline uh, from, an offensive line, they get caught holding a bunch of times. I mean, if you called holding on every play, we'd never actually play a football game ever. But, but still, <laughs> the, yeah. it it is like uh, a lot of just mental mistakes. I mean, I think the field goal that they missed was from forty yards out. 40, yeah, college Absolutely kickers available. are generally not terrible from forty. It was. A, um, it was. It wasn't ex- a. Yeah, the actual kick itself was like straight. And plenty powerful. He just aimed it wrong. Like just yeah, yeah. He, he started on the left hash and he missed left, but it looked good off the foot. It just curved. Yeah, I, I mean, just to contextualize that numerically, though, um, you can estimate um, like you can do expected points for field goals based on the probability that someone will make it from a specific distance. So from I, I can't, I, I don't have the calculator out to work backwards from this but it was a 39 yard field goal the expected points for that were 2.9 right out of cool. uh, three possible points so you left uh 2.9 expect e- epa on the table yeah uh, that's, effectively that's yeah it was a gimme and you just you just missed and, and that i think that kind of thing is um what really got unc in trouble between right not between missing that field goal and then all of the penalties that they added up. It's just, they, they definitely had opportunities to put this game away and they just kept tech hanging around. Uh, yeah. And it's, you might, you're hitting on a thing here. Cause I was about to mention our EPA without explosive plays being negative. Yeah. eight. Uh, we had one, one, five of our passing plays were explosive passing plays, which fantastic. Uh, out credits to Jeep Wade and Buster Faulkner for making good for planning that well and being more di- being 10 receivers got balls and so getting like, and for those receivers getting open in situations right. that matter, right? Like yeah. that's part of expected points. The context of where you're making these plays, the yard line, the the down, the distance, like that all that all gets incorporated into the model. And it's not just these guys like not just the scheme, the play that you call, but also being able to execute in those moments. Right. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, it, you can just see it in the passing performance, right? Like I said, 23 for 30, 287, four touchdowns, 62 EPA per play is not just a Haynes King thing, right? We right. don't have the ability in college to separate out the air yards, just the passing, like the literal passing yards from the yards after the catch. Um, but so that whole performance, that 60.62 EPA for dropback performance, that's a testament to that entire passing offense. Not, yep. not just kidding. Not to take credit away from him, but to contextualize that as saying like this was a very well called game and people made plays when it mattered yep. to maximize team. that number. The team effort was a team effort 
indeed. But yeah, it, it, I mean, if we I noticed this after the Wake Forest game, which kind of explained to me what happened with Boston College, that like we won that game with a, a lesser success rate than Wake Forest. We only had five more success, only five plays, five more plays with a successful EPA than North Carolina in this game. But I mean, a shootout's a shootout. Um, so like it's on on the surface looks fantastic, feels as good as anything has felt in terms of our football program in a long time. Uh, but at the same time, it's like it's not all the way all there yet. It's we still got a ways to go here. Uh, we got a bad North Carolina day. They've had two straight bad days, and thank goodness we took advantage of it because we. I mean, we all. I, I definitely thought that Boston College game was the make or break point of the season because I had I had written this game completely off. I thought we were going to lose by twenty eight. Um, and now Virginia, who knows what happens next week in Charlottesville? Truly have no idea what the hell to expect about that game. Um. Uh, and then Clemson, who they might be tanking for draft picks that don't exist. Extremely um, fraudulent Clemson team. Extremely fraudulent. Syracuse is Syracuse again. So, can I, um, can I read the ACC standings real yes. quick? Yes. Oh, yes. That? Do that. Do that. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Florida State number one, six and zero. Oh. Uh, Louisville four and one. Uh, Virginia Tech three and one. Those teams play next week. Yeah. Um, also, after that, Georgia Tech at three and two. Keep in mind uh, if. Not Louisville. Uh, Margin we had it held out. Tech would currently be second in the ACC. Gives you some perspective on just how things have gone uh, this year for the conference as a whole. Dumbest conference in the world, baby. UNC's in fifth, three and two. Miami's two and two, as well as Boston College and Duke and NC State, uh, who beat Clemson yesterday. Clemson's two and four. It actually played six, uh, um, six conference games already, which feels like a lot, but Florida State's done that, so go figure. Um, Pittsburgh's one and three, Virginia's one and three, Wake Forest is one and four, and Syracuse is oh and four. So, um, you know, quite an interesting, quite an interesting slate. But uh, I mean, if the season ends today, uh, it's Louisville versus Florida State in Charlotte. So, uh, go ahead, Jake. You indirectly hit on the most, the probably the funniest point of all right there. It is the end of October in 2023, and Virginia Tech controls its own destiny. Yes. Yes, they do. And, and they lost to Rutgers and Marshall this year, I believe. Yes, they lost to Marshall. Marshall was This is the ACC Marshall. I know and love. See, what happens is they 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 allowed coastal chaos to infect the entire conference when they disbanded the divisions and went single table, and now everyone does it instead of it just being confined to one little box. They bro- it broke contain it's gonna be a. It's gonna go to the West Coast next. It's gonna be a whole thing. Yeah. Uh my coastal chaos. Love it. Love it. It's gonna be if you if you break open the coastal and let it seep out, it takes over. It's it's it a can the, of worms that you've now slathered is, across the entire Atlantic coast. It is the virus of college football. It will not stop expanding. Uh, well, college football itself can't stop itself from expanding, but that's a different uh, entirely uh, side point. Uh, Mr. Grant, I want to come to you because I think something that we've talked about in the past, especially with regards to the national narrative around Georgia Tech and the Collins area, was this idea of a proof of concept. Effectively, a, a kind of a proof of life and a sign that a program is going in the right direction, doing the things that it needs to do in order to be successful, Not maybe not in this year, but maybe in, uh, maybe in the next year. Given Georgia Tech State after this game, they are... You said uh, three and two in the ACC. 
and four and four overall. What is your ruling so far in terms of proof of concept on the key era? You know, this game and and as many football games do came down to a, a few key plays. And if those go different, we're talking about this game differently. If you would have asked me last week if we had seen any proof of concept, I probably would have not been too high on that opinion, uh, if that's a fair way to put that. That said, um, I think I stand by what I said a little bit earlier, that this isn't the most perfect game I think we've seen, but um, certainly the most convincing, i.e. on a day when the defense is down, the offense uh, picks up. And even then, uh, the defense had a couple of key stops, a couple of key uh, you know, turnover type situations, sacks. Um, I think there's only two in the whole game, but they both feel like they came at pretty opportune times. And and one thing I do want to say, um, I don't know if we touched on this quite uh, directly, but early goes on fourth down. Um, I think that, you know, the math kind of, uh, for the most part, I would say probably aligns with those being goes, but, you know, it gives UNC a short field. So, um, you kind of got to take all of that in context in terms of, hey, yeah, like UNC was out to a couple score uh, lead early, but that was that was Brenton Buster being aggressive. You know, that was them saying, hey, we have the confidence our defense can stop them if if we don't get it there. But this this situation warrants us. Um, you know, at the end of the game, it's a it's a way it, the game is about maximizing your possessions and, and taking advantage of the very limited times so, you'll get the ball throughout it. So they said, Hey, we're not turning this ball over for free. So, um, sorry, a little bit rambly of an answer. I wouldn't necessarily say this is like proof of conference text. Now a wagon let's go. Um, but, uh, I'm certainly more confident. And honestly, I think my biggest takeaway is it just felt good that it was fun. You know, like it, that was a fun football game. Um, I feel like the students and, and okay. Perspective I've been thinking about, Almost anyone who is an active undergrad right now has not seen Georgia Tech go to a bowl game in their tenure at Georgia Tech. Um, I think that that's an important thing to consider when you're going, hey, like, you know, what's what's the vibe? What's the thing? There was a very loud and very into the game contingent of students that stayed. I mean, obviously, all the way to the very end is, is exciting all the way through. But, you know, that's... Uh, the, the feel good to feel good, that's uh, something that, you know, affects more than just like obviously home home field advantage and stuff like that. But it gets students more likely to come back to games. It gets fans like us more likely to be like, hey, I'm going to, you know, go. I'm going to buy season tickets. Or I'm going to be at more games or I'm going to go to the road game or I'm heck, I'm going to watch on TV or buy Section 103 shirts or, you know, you know, all that, uh, all those trickle down type things, the things that make you more connected to, oh, there's a need in my, the, my degree program is, is trying to get volunteers or money or resources for something. That, that's something that has kind of a halo effect. And I don't know, maybe I'm overstating the front porch thing, but I, I don't think that, um, I don't think that they're unrelated. No, I actually like, that was one of my prevailing thoughts that whole time. And, um, you know, it's, it's like you said, these students have seen so much bad football in the last you know, four years, right? Like, I mean, when I, when I started, I was fortunate in that they won nine games my freshman year, 11 games my sophomore year. Like I had, I got, I got started with something good and, you know, it set that expectation that, okay, this team might actually achieve some things, you know, like we can, ha we have reason to expect that. 
if you started in 2019 or later, what reason do you have you had to expect that over these last few years? So like, or even 18. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so finally getting to just see something like this and see like some of the pieces come together. Like I'm just happy for them that they're getting to experience this because it's been a long road for a lot, for a lot of those kids coming through. And um, yeah, you know, you just hope there will be more, more ahead, but just even getting to experience this is just, it's been a long time coming for them, I think. So taking, I, I guess a little, driving back a little bit to the point about the bowl game. It is the last tech bowl game was in 2018. That was the quick lane bowl versus Minnesota. It has been, like you said, it's been five years. Tech has to win two out of its next four games in order to make a bowl game. And the schedule is, if I remembered to pull it up as I... I think I've got it. It's uh, Virginia, Clemson, Syracuse, Georgia are the next four. Yeah. So if you want to toss the last game of the season, which I think all of us are willing to do (laughs) at a certain level, can Tech win two... Can Tech win two of those three winnable games? Well, I mean, let's. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the year where we thought we we thought we didn't really know what the floor was. We didn't really know what the ceiling was either, and so we all kind of collectively landed on six and six, and we keep arriving to an this. We now arrived at three and three and four and four in ways we're like, how did we get here? This isn't the three or three and the four and four that we thought we were going to get. It is going all the way down and all the way up at any given point. This is why I have no clue what the hell is going to happen next week. Like, I, I should we win? I think that's fair if this offense can play like this, um, and at least score thirty-five. Like, I feel like I'm okay with thinking if we can score thirty-five, we can win the game. Um, Clemson even more so maybe because that that team just seems like it's not. It's just getting worse and worse by the week now at this point. Uh, and then a whole and I think our friends now are going to be. If we win one of those games against Clemson or Virginia, I think our, 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 we show up. I I really think we show up well against Syracuse just in terms of sheer people. Like he was like, get your butt people, get your butts in these seats, guys. Like that makes a real difference here. Um, attendance was like barely, barely more than it was uh, against Boston College, but like a few hundred folks. Um, still in the thirty-five thousand mark. So. There were a lot more people tailgating, hanging around. Yes, there was that tailgate. Tailgate scene was fantastic. Tailgate scene was fantastic yesterday. We all got to hang out together for the first time in a long time uh, as a as a blog. Um, Yeah, I'm gonna go with. I feel it feels it's harder to say no than it is to say yes right now, truly because the offense is clicking. If the offense can click like this, that's so that can win you a lot of things in college football right now, especially against bad teams. Um, if it's this close against North Carolina, like yeah, one would think if things are going logically, you should do better against Virginia, but none of this is logical so far. Like, I, I think we need to, ex- I still think we need to expect the unexpected and probably it'll be something even more unexpected that happens that we don't even think about. Where I keep coming back to is I enjoy how exciting it's been, even if I feel like we have the most. Uh, whiplash inducing commentary of our podcast the last four weeks as we've had in any four week stretch in the entire time that we've been doing this um going from oh my gosh this is crazy this is a miracle oh my gosh this is horrible what's going on oh my gosh 
this was fun. I haven't used the word fun in so long. Uh, if you would have told me, and, and we use this after, I think, the Miami game, if you would have told me halfway through the season, we'd be three and three, I would have been okay with it. If you would have told me halfway in, we'd be four and four, honestly, I'd probably be okay with it. And I'm trying to, I don't know. I, I feel like I spent the entire last month going like, okay, like we did blank and now we've got Poland Green. We did blank. Now we've got Boston College. One week at a time, I guess. But, you know, it, I, I think there's a lot of good things um, going towards the rest of the year. And and I think the other addendum, not just students, but hopefully, you know, uh, recruits, donors, fans, you know, the people who are going to be the future of the team, be it uh, in their support or their actual, you know, people involved with the team see that. And, you know, whether that's uh, the transfer recruiting, high school recruiting, uh, or, or even good staffers and things like that saw that and said, Hey, I want to be a part of it. And and right now I'm very much at the point of like, Hey, I'm, I'm looking forward to next Saturday, tuning in on TV. Per- now, personal life's been crazy for the last couple of months, so I can't drive up to Charlottesville, but uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, putting it on the TV, maybe going somewhere, you know, things like that, but things that are um, it's already Sunday and it's on the brain. And I think that's a good feeling to have. A fair way to answer the question or did I did I dance around it? No, no, no. I, I well, I mean you did your usual dancing around, but I think it's appropriate, yeah. right? I, I think <laughs> the situation with this, and I, I'm sure Nishan is gonna say something similar. The situation with this team is just that it's so volatile and you don't really know how they're going to come out every single week that it's just hard to say with any sort of confidence, can they go two and one in the next three weeks? Like it, it's it's just impossible because either you don't know which of the two games that they would win, or you don't know which which could be a mind blowingly stupid loss. Like it, yep. it's yep. it's just it's just honestly it's tiring just to think about the possibility. I just saw the Go line for, for this game. Have you all seen the line yet? Nope. UVA by two at yep. home. UVA by two. So basically a toss up. Yes. Yeah, it's a neutral field toss up. I, I I was telling someone this. Um, I it feels to me like that line is built to get action on tech, uh, just a- after coming off of yesterday and yeah. t- like people who decide to do some emotional betting. That, uh, yeah, that line becoming tech by one would not surprise me at, by the end yeah. of the week. But I, but I think spiritually, given what this team looks like going, I mean, like a push on a neutral field does not feel wrong to me. Um, and I, I have some stats to talk about UVA in a bit, but I definitely want to make sure that we get Nishant's uh, take on what the next three weeks and the bowl game chances for Tech look like. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to ramble a little through my thoughts here as well, because there are actual like meaningful football thoughts and there are voodoo related thoughts about this one. Uh, so I'll start with voodoo. We're playing at Charlottesville. I know what happens when we play at Charlottesville over the last 20 years. Uh, so that that kind of makes me not really too confident. Um, and, you know, beyond that, I don't think there's anything similar for Clemson or Syracuse, but, you know, those are both teams that are similarly in weird places right now where, you know, they have shown to be really good at times and they've shown to be really, really bad at times. So, you know, there's, there's just a lot of volatility, which kind of saps me from being confident. Um, I guess in actual football terms, I'm just thinking of what I've seen from this team and, you know, I, like just focusing on last night, there was, we saw the best of what this team can be, right? You know, the Haynes King, with the exception of one really bad throw, played 
probably his best game of the season. Um, and, you know, like after I think some first quarter struggles, he was mostly dialed in um, again, other than the one bad pick. But, um, you know, you saw what the run game can do when the when the offensive line is just able to pave some lanes. Dante and Jamal are both really good at, you know, cutting to find a few extra yards. Jamal, for being, you know, what, 170 pounds soaking wet is really good at just knocking the pile backwards. So, you know, the ground game is surprisingly effective. And I think we saw what can happen as the game wears on as defenses get tired. You know, that all bodes really well for the offense. I think where my concerns are is on the other side. Um, You know, like, there's something to be said for you're going up against Drake May, Tez Walker, all the weapons they have. You're going to give up points in there. It's like there's just you're not you don't have the athletes to necessarily stop them the whole game. But some some of what we saw, especially in the first quarter, they were just getting out athleted. Um, the you know just the the defensive line was not able to really get any push, and they were getting knocked backward for big gains on the ground. That's not the first time we've seen that this year against teams with much less talent than UNC, and so. You know, I worry about that happening against, you know, the next three weeks against the next three teams. Um, Clemson in particular still has some guys who can, you know, move, move around, even if they haven't been executing Virginia and Syracuse, not so much, but we've seen this sort of thing happen even against Bowling Green. So, you know, all that's a long rambling way to say, I have no idea what to expect these <laughs> next three weeks. I know there are two wins in there. I see, I see three and no happening. I also see zero and three happening, and I don't think either would surprise me at this stage. Right? Yeah. The whole set of outcomes is possible. It's uh, it's an entirely unknown concept. It's just that again, the team is just so volatile that it's it's honestly it's honestly going to be bizarre. Uh, that being said, Saturday, November fourth, Tech will play at UVA. UVA right as of right now is a two point home favorite. That game is at 2 p.m. Eastern on the CW, which, yay, another CW Ooh. game. Uh, I wanted to get a little more insight into what UVA looked like just to sort of prepare everyone else to, for what to expect. Um, so I pulled up the UVA game pa- or the UVA team page on Game on Paper. Um, if I remember correctly, I think they're still starting Anthony Calandria or Tony Calandria at quarterback. Um he is uh, plus 1.4 in terms of EPA per dropback. Um, as a team, they are plus 0.07, which is right around 51st in the nation this year. Um, they are dreadful at running the ball. They are bottom 15 in the nation. They are minus 0.09, uh, 116 EPA per play in the nation. Uh, uh, take that in aggregate in terms of their offense. They are very, like they're, they're in that third quartile, right? They're 85th in the nation, minus 0.02 um, EPA per play. Um, and in terms of EPA per game, they're minus one, uh, just right around minus one. So so keep all of that um, in mind. And defensively, they really struggle against the run. They are bottom 10 in all of the metrics that we have on offer. Um and against the pass, they're very average. They're all of the ranks are right around, right around sixty. So that makes for a very uh, obviously they're two and six. Uh, so some of these things are expected, um, especially against the run. They've obviously had to defend the run more because teams have been winning against them more. And um, you typically run more when you are winning as a as a football team. So you have to keep some of those in mind as well. But there is a 
especially with the ability to run that tech demonstrated today, I think there is some push that can be had in that department. Um, and it just comes down to tech being able to limit what Calandria uh, and what Kobe Pace and Paris Jones can do on the uh, in the run game as well. So um, I think those are a couple of things to look forward to. Obviously, that's not the entire. Uh, that's just a very short preview. You can look up the Virginia team page on Game on Paper. Um, but I think that's all we really have to discuss on Georgia Tech football. Uh, Mr. Grant, would you like to tell us about Section 103 and what they have going on for Georgia Tech football fans uh, as a result of last night's victory? I mean, I'm, I've already plugged them a couple times here, so I, I won't try and recycle too much of that. But, um, I mean, if this goes up before the end of the day today, they're currently uh, running a 17% off sale. So go, go check that out. Um, but uh, as is uh, fun tradition, you know, periodically, there are new releases uh, on the site. And this week is no different um, for those of us who, who know who perhaps one of the single greatest athletes ever to grace Georgia Tech football um, is. We know Joe Hamilton quite well. Um including as currently one of the voices of tech. Um, and now there's a Joe Hamilton jersey, which, um, again, uh, astonished that that's not something you could already buy somewhere else. So congrats on Section 103 for making it happen here, uh, because that is, um, you know, that time-specific fonts, uh, logo usage, and things like that uh, really line up well uh, when contrasted to the modern uh, Smith, Haynes, King, and... Um, and the other jerseys, that Zach Pyron jerseys that they've made uh, in in recent months as well. So go take a look. Um, Joe Hamilton shirt out, seventeen percent off today. And uh, yeah, as always, they, they just keep releasing stuff. I know uh, the the four of us are always kind of on the prowl for for another order. And uh, section one hundred three, section one hundred three dot com, and that's section one hundred three on Twitter as well. Let's talk about cross-country next. They were at the ACC Championships this past week. The women finished ninth. The men finished 10th. Mr. Grant, you usually have something a little bit more interesting to tell me than just basically the results on the on the championships. How do we contextualize this in the history of the program? Yeah, absolutely. So Georgia Tech uh, women's cross-country in particular had a pretty strong showing, I would say, into um, – into like the COVID years, uh, peaking at second in the ACCs. Uh, I actually was going before uh, to, to find that year. I think it wound up being fall 2020. Um, but I was amused because I started with looking at fall 2019 uh, and the women actually got 10th and the men ninth uh, in 2019. So I think that's a, a an interesting place to start given that our kind of, um, yeah, it was 2020 uh, that the women got second, but uh, our kind of like traditional spot in the conference uh conference slate conference position is kind of that like eighth to 11th uh type zone like i said a little a little bit higher in, in in 2020 um uh but that was kind of an interesting convoluts of of a lot of different factors um so i don't know not to say that ninth to 10th is as expected uh the acc is a fairly deep conference i would say uh, in cross country we've talked about uh, some of the significance of um, of just the, you know, the, the good showing we've seen at some of these other larger uh, invitationals. But um, 9th and 10th, it's not really anything to write home about, I would say, but um, certainly nothing, I don't know, 
the, the floor has not fallen out by any means. It's uh, pretty much right where they slot in uh, in these years that they haven't had, you know, the greatest cross country runner in the history of, of Georgia Tech uh, cross country running for their team. So, um, yeah, nothing too crazy this week. Uh, they will be next at NCAA South Region Championships on Friday, November 10th. And then the next weekend, they'll be at NCAA Championships. I, is that still in Oregon? I guess that wouldn't be in Oregon this year because it's cross country. Not uh, they're, they're, they're first up at South Region Champs in Gainesville. That's the 10th, as you said. Track is more of the traditional Oregon, you know, giant stadium that they've got. Uh, it's actually Charlottesville that's hosting NCAA championships because they're looking more for the course than the than the track and the facilities. Right. And the job. Yeah. Right. Let's go over to golf. Mr. Purdy, uh, Tech is doing something really weird this week where they're splitting yeah. the squad. Half of the squad, and I think the more senior part of the squad, is go is mm-hmm. staying at home for the East Lake Cup, which is actually at Atlanta Athletic Club while there are renovations at East Lake uh, over the next year. That's Monday through Wednesday. This will be televised on the Golf Channel from 3 to 6 p.m. The field, to set the stage for you. All of the NCAA final, semifinalists, excuse me, on both the men's and women's side. Uh, so that is Florida, Georgia Tech, Florida State, and North Carolina on the men's side, and Wake Forest, USC, Stanford, and Texas A&M on the women's side. I have the lineup for you listed right there. Talk to me about what to expect from this half of the competition week for Tech Golf. It's very top-heavy because you got Bartley Forrester, you got Crystal Lamprick, and you got Hiroshi Tai, who have all done everything from have some bad days to just blowing away the competition individually in various parts. So, like this is this is the A team without a doubt right now. And Crystal Lamprick, I think is I want to say is still the number one ranked player in college right now in the PGA Tour University rankings. He may be second now. Oh, I could be slipping in there. Uh, but either way, yeah, though, this is, I mean, when you have Tech, Florida, Florida State, North Carolina, all there, like you, 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 you play the best guys. This is, that's, that's what they're here for. Uh, this is the last big, this is their last event this fall as well. Um, so this is kind of their last drop before it gets cold. Uh, so, and they're going to play at a really, really nice course too. So, um, but yeah, that's going to be televised and it's going to be a really, I mean, I mean, all these teams are effectively the same talent level, if not uh, it, degrees of variance. So it's like, I don't think this is terribly predictive of what NCAA championships might look like down the road or ACC championships in the case of UNC and Florida State. Um, but at the very least, it's great for it's a great chance to see the best of college golf on television right now um, and the future of various tours around the world. Whether some of these guys go to Europe, this, I, I have a I, I am sure that Crystal Lamprecht is going to be on some Presidents Cup teams um, and hopefully play in the PGA Tour and be a force there. So. Um, the same for Bartley and Hiroshi. So it's going to be great. Carson Kim and uh, Kale Fontenot are the freshmen that are that have made this squad too. Uh, so that's really good to see that uh, some freshmen are at least going to play with the A guys. Will they be the stroke leaders? Who knows? Uh, but that those are that that's good to see. Um, and then the other half of the team is going to go to Monterey, California, to play in the Cypress Point Classic, which is just a two day event. So that's got us, Auburn, Arizona State, Illinois, Pepperdine, Stanford, Tennessee, and Texas. So it's still a loaded squad out this loaded teams out there too we're just splitting ours in half compared to the rest of them um and those are just two days adam braddon's playing that aiden kramer's playing that andy malice playing uh brady rackley aiden tran uh and colson brown so the newer guys are there uh and then like the 
the, the basically the, the newer guys in the second tier of this team get sent out there. So, uh, but they're, I mean, they're all to play for Georgia Tech golf does not mean and get on the B team does not mean you're a bad golfer. That just means this team is so freaking good that we got to put them somewhere. So, that's, yeah, that's, I that's, think it's it's good, right? I, I, yeah. Jake, I think one of the things that we talked about a couple of years ago, uh, based on some comments from Bruce Hepler, is that he has to pick six guys for a yep. tournament to score. And it's a hard job, especially if it's a hard job because the guys that don't make that tournament roster, they don't play. They have to go, they, they either stay at home, they practice. And in this week, they're everyone on the squad, more or less everyone on the team is getting an opportunity to actually play and get tournament mm-hmm. minutes. More than everyone on the squad, because this is a note from the shot sheet too that I, I believe is via Ramblin' Rec, uh, Ramblin', Ramblin' Rex preview uh, that they've got put together. But um, Colson Brown, um, non-scholarship football player who played high school golf, um, is added to the roster uh, as a a golf player because uh, (laughs) rounding out due to red red shirts and and whatnot on the the actual, like, makeup of the roster. If if you look at it, there's... um, there's 11 guys on, on the roster, but uh, Ben Ritter is, is redshirting. So literally they went out and found another guy uh, to supplement the team, which one, that's a pretty cool story. Uh, if, if I do say so myself, um, but um, yeah, I mean, they're uh, it, it, I think this will be an interesting um, one, an interesting opportunity. Like we said, not all these guys get to play uh, every week. And the fact that they get to be out um uh, at the golf club of Georgia Collegiate and uh, Cypress Point, back to back, back to back weeks out means good minutes for them. And you know that it's a very familiar set at the East Lake Cup, um, being the other three Final Four teams uh, from last year's or this past June's uh, NCAA championships. But it's it, as Jack noted, it's very different makeup uh, of the lineup. So certainly a lot to follow there, and and also ten fifty five and uh, eleven a.m. at uh, at Atlanta Athletic uh, over the next three days uh, will be on Golf Channel. So you can also catch a line. So a, a lot of through lines to like here, I think kind of wrapping it up, there's going to be a lot of golf in action. You actually get to watch it live um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's a pretty big thing, um, but um, really going to be interesting to see how they match up, uh, whether it's the B, uh, the B squad out in uh, California or the uh, new look top uh, top bunch over in East Lake. God, it's like watching the U. It's like watching U.S. soccer over uh, a couple summers ago, where they split the A squad into playing a bunch of tournaments and then let them rest for the back half of the summer uh, right. and played a B squad at the Gold Cup. It's it's that. a while. It, it, I mean, again, it's really good for development, especially because the that B squad is going to play match play for two days, um, which is something that we've seen Tech emphasize in its scheduling a little bit more over the last couple of years. They play a lot more match play these days, and, and sending these guys to to get two days of match play experience um, is going to be is going to really help come the end of the season, where you're talking about oh, who are the guys that you want to have yeah. in your ACC championship lineup, in your um, NCAA regional lineup, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, uh, right. That's, so it's yeah, it's a format that doesn't I mean it's that seems inherently obvious to do in golf. Like all of us when we play recreationally, that there's some element of match play stuff kind of happening, but when you get to the higher levels, it's a lot of just stroke play. And then suddenly in the NCAAs, you got like, nope, it comes down to match play at the most crucial times. So yeah, getting every rep they can. I think we, we mentioned this with a, uh, 
when we read the sketch when we did when they when the schedule came out, we're like, wait a second, this is a lot of match play. This is clearly planned out. So um yeah, no, this is it's good to see. I mean, win or lose, just the fact that they're exercised. I mean, this plays into Ryder Cup stuff and presence cups up and everything and how they make those lineups. It's just all right, who's actually done this and done it well? Because it is a different kind of golf that you're playing in that context. So yeah, I, I think the I think the match play stuff really translates ball into TV. So if you're if you're new to golf or really only got into it uh in the past couple of opportunities to see them on TV. This will be another good time to, to get a really, and, and you got stroke play too, of course, but it, it makes for a really compelling uh, TV watch, I would say. Let's move over to the men's tennis. They were at the black and gold invitational at Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee this past weekend. They're still uh, in competition today, but we have two days of results that we can pour through. Mr. Grant, what do you have for me? Yeah, I, uh, I I will say that uh, as there tend to be in the fall, there is a lot going on with a lot of a lot of different uh, singles and doubles in actions in terms of day one. Um, for the most part, Tech was matched up against uh, Vandy folks, uh, with the exception of Ron Sakdev, who played Ian Cruz out of BU. Uh, he did fall in in three sets. Uh, Tech uh, otherwise though um, won five of their six. Uh, Vandy-related singles match, if you will, on the first day, as well as uh, the doubles. So kind of an interesting, I guess, not necessarily um, like traditional, you know, team match format with the the singles and the doubles, just given that uh, there were seven singles in action and one was not uh, a Vandy versus Georgia Tech. But if you scored this like a traditional match, uh, Georgia Tech would have won, uh, I believe, 6-1. Uh, in the traditional seven-point uh, format for for men's and women's tennis, uh, so that was really good to see. Uh, in terms of day two, kind of similar. Um, there was um, actually, yeah, it, it was just straight up uh, seven singles against uh, Middle Tennessee. So, so one more than than usual there. Um, in terms of that, not quite as uh, as exciting in uh, Tech's favor, but a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of good things to write home about against um, Andy in the first day. I think is a it's a same or is a safe way to put it. Uh, like I said, today is day three of competition, so we'll have those results for you next week. And then at the weekend, uh, Tech will be at both the Tech men and the Tech women will be at ITA Ball Champs in San Diego. Uh, so we'll hopefully have uh, have some outcomes from that as well so final sport to cover for the day let's talk about volleyball they had a week in which if i remember correctly we said they just had to take care of business and make it quick and easy and they did not do that versus boston college but they did however get a 3-2 win uh at chestnut hill and then they wrapped up the weekend with a quick and easy 3-0 versus syracuse in syracuse uh, one of the notes that I had from the BC game is something that I heard on the Q's broadcast earlier today, actually. Uh, Boston College brought a lot of speed to the table, and that was something that apparently is really not something that SEC or ACC teams do, excuse me. And it took Tech some time to adjust to that pace. Mr. Purdy, you had a couple of news and notes on this game. What did you think of this Boston College performance? Yeah, they, uh, I think that's fair. We, 
Yeah, and a lot of the I think a lot of what we emphasize in the ACC and what we emphasize is like when we watch volleyball, it's like, all right, who is hitting with the most power to just shut down a point immediately and just get it over with? Um, and speed can play a part of that as well. Um, and that if you could make a team's blockers get have to be on their toes and just not know where you're going to be and have a very little time to make something with a little decision with a very to minimize the decision making time they have to do. Uh, yeah, that helps out a lot. <laughs> So we uh we looked all right. Uh, I think I want to say Tamara Oates today hit 24 kills against Boston College. She's now at a thousand career uh, total. Uh, she surpassed that during the match. Uh, her 24 was the most she's had at Tech as well. Um, she hit I think 27 at one point at Illinois State. So uh, she's gonna have to really have a career night to beat that. Uh, this was another game where Bella D'Amico played herself out of the game as well, which is and very frustrating at this point because she played well enough last weekend at home to like kind of hold her spot there and looked like she was making that progress back. We had the game against North Carolina. I think I said it was like the felt like the most normal we've played in terms of like, nope, we just got a sweep done. Or I think it was maybe it's three one. Either way, like they looked like themselves as much as they can without Liv Mogridge. Um and that was just really nice to see. And then it just kind of backslid again with D'Amico where she just was just missing easy sets, just putting the ball half a foot, a foot behind where Bertolino needs it, where Otene needs it, where Mendez needs it. Um, so going to five sets against Boston College was frustrating. Thankfully, we've won four of those instances so far. All of them have come since we lost Liv Mogers, though, which I mean, we've, I've emphasized this. We can't emphasize it enough how not having her is, is problematic a lot because um, that's that's our middle. That's our blocking. That's our fourth. That's our other major offensive option. Uh, she's a big vocal. She's a vocal leader in there in huddle as well. And when you're losing her and D'Amico in that sense, that's a lot of leadership uh, and a lot of normalcy. That's just not there. So you're continuously fluctuating and adjusting all the time. Not good to go to five against Boston College. They won the game, though. I think that's my big takeaway from the weekend. Syracuse was uh, they're not having a great year, though. Uh, I think that's we didn't they really mention that until until yeah. we started looking at this game. Um, yeah. coming in this week, but oh boy, uh, two and twenty. It's been a long, long year they're, for them. Yeah, they're not. They're not doing great. They're they're three eleven. They were three hundred eleventh and evolve, and uh, like two fifty five in RPI. So just just even playing them was like not helpful to all of our general season metrics. Like, it is I wish we didn't have to. Some teams have to play them twice too, which is kind of sad. Um, in terms of just like resume boosting. So, uh, I do want to know Liz Patter. Liz Patterson has like kind of. They, 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 she's just part of the rotation now. DeAndre Pierce does not serve. Patterson serves for Pierce, and it's been working so far these last couple weekends. I'll yeah. note. Um, I've I've enjoyed that. She's not the greatest when it comes to defense at all, um, but she's up there. I also want to note that Bianca Berlino is at forty nine aces, which is third most in the country, and she has the most aces per set in the country. So we have the weaponiest weapon out there right now in terms of just single item you, that you can use at any one point. That said, she hasn't been using it that well the last like she against uh, Boston College. She just went back to a float serve because she had five errors. Like it was not working at all. Um, and today Syracuse just got it back in play. And there's nothing, nothing much there. Didn't really need it to. Didn't really need it when it was all said and done. Um, so at least we're winning these games. I mean, we mentioned we have to win these games. We had to win all these games, and we did. That was the crucial thing there uh, today against uh, Syracuse. Tamara Otene did land awkwardly on her left leg in the second set. 
and it was like like her left knee had a little twinge. Um, she looked fine though. Like they iced it. Like it didn't seem like she was like in pain, pain or anything like that. But considering it was Syracuse, she was like laughing and walking it off. And they were just like, okay, well, this is we're we're playing a team that's two and nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. So we they can not, afford to. They they did not let her play at all the rest of that match. Zoe Wood Winford, our fourth string setter, got a lot of play, and she just ended up playing def- def- defense. Um, so that was good to see. Uh, Kelly Engelman got a lot of time. Uh, Smiley Manyang and Eloise Suarez played the entire third set, uh, which is cool to see. Uh, Syracuse did a very surprised by them, did a very poor job with stats, and that there weren't any during the match. So I don't know what anything was really, but I'm pretty sure Manyang had close to 10 kills, and Bertolino, I think, led the team in kills. Um, so that was fine. And Mendez looked all right, everyone looked all right. It was Syracuse. There, I mean, there was a couple instances where like we were kind of like feeling our way into a match or into a set, but they. It, it, things cleared up eventually, so I don't want to overcook that set at all. But now we're uh nineteen and three, and we have the hardest match of the season on Friday. Yes, that is Friday, November third at seven p.m. at home versus Louisville. Mister Pretty, what what rank in the coaches' poll is Louisville right now? Four. Uh yeah. Are, this is a, the. There's a shot we get to ten. It seemed like everyone pretty much up and down the top eleven though was winning the matches they had to win. So I think we're stuck at eleven, and it's not going to be a top ten versus top ten match, sadly. Um, but yeah, this match effectively makes or breaks. I think if we have any shot at winning the ACC, we're tied for third right now. Florida State won, so they're still they're they're still same with us. But like Louisville has not has only taken one chink in the armor, so they have to get a second. And I just do not have any confidence beyond us of anyone maybe potentially doing that. So and we I mean, still it's to gonna go to take, Miami. Yeah. It's gonna take a game. It's gonna I mean it's gonna take those first two sets that tech play versus Pittsburgh. Right. Exactly. It's gonna yeah. take playing re- a really aggressive style of volleyball and and winning on those margins because or winning by those close margins because Louisville is in that same caliber of opponent, that same tier of opponent that that Pitt is. And yeah. you have got to stop things from getting out of hand and get stop getting out adjusted. I, I think in the middle of the game, it, I don't necessarily think that like your um, quality of opponent heading into a game like this is that makes that much of a difference. But if you do believe in that, these are not games in which tech has had to, I mean, I guess they played five sets versus Boston college. I shouldn't necessarily be particularly yeah. closed off to that, but on paper, like these are not games that Tech has to adjust to to, to immense tactical shifts uh, or counter adjust to adjustments that other teams have made in order to win. This is like, okay, you 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 play your game, you will probably end up winning winning the game. Um, these teams are responding to you rather than you responding to them, right? In Boston College and Syracuse, so again, Tech is now in an, in a again, that unfamiliar position position of having the other role and that they have to adjust to an opponent uh, and also adjust again, counter-adjust and, and that sort of thing. So right. um, they are going to have to come out firing. They're going to have to take – I honestly think they're going to have to take those first two sets and really push in that third set to just get it done. Um, Worst case scenario. they do. Yeah, looking at the, the implication case- there being that they sweep Louisville, that's bold. Ooh. Well, they get, if they're aggressive in the first two – 
Uh, I mean, I, I'm not saying that they're going to sweep them by a particularly dominant margin in that in that reality. Oh yeah, that right? feels like a 25-23 kind of set. Like they would cases. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they would probably go to extra volleyball in all three cases, right? But they have to come out aggressive. Like in terms of the set results, they have to come out aggressive and win early. Is my yeah. takeaway. I want to note the the month of November for us. We have we host number four Louisville, and then this coming Sunday, a week from now, we have Notre Dame here. Then the next Friday, we go to Pitt. So number seven, eight pit. Um, and then we have, we don't play that Sunday. We have a week off before we go to Miami and then we host Syracuse. And then the day before Thanksgiving, we play at Louisville. If you want to be a super, super pessimist, there's only three, there's only two wins left on this schedule. <laughs> I, I think um, us playing Syracuse. I know that they're, you know, a team we handled pretty well today uh, is honestly, no bueno for the RPI in a oh, way that not, it might not. be, it uh, might not be super ideal when we think about like tournament host strength of schedule type things. But I think that's a little overly pessimistic. Take care of business against, you know, the, the Notre Dame's Miami's of the world. Take care of business against Syracuse. Well, I mean, Louisville I, and Pitt, it showed us Pitt for sure. Uh, we I, just, yeah, you know, I mean, they just yeah. got to get it across the line. Notre Dame and Syracuse. Yes. No, you get those games. I'm very confident in, uh, yeah, three half of these matches being Pitt and Louisville is that's very possibly three losses, and then Miami like, didn't do well down there. They absolutely manhandled us earlier this season. Uh, so and that's it's I, it probably will be the same team without Movers by the time we play them there too. So that's that's that that's the ultra pessimist version of me. I think we should beat them though. We are better than them. Um, they're good, but we are better than them. So, um. Yeah, we're gonna get. But if we're gonna win the ACC, we gotta win five to six, probably. So sounds right to me. You can't really. I mean, you you got to be really aggressive against the teams above you. Is basically the the exactly. end all be yeah. all to that one. Exactly. Yeah. Well, especially when you don't already control your own destiny. I believe at that point. I mean, I haven't done the exact math of every scenario, but Tech being ten and two in the conference with losses to Pitt and Louisville teams that are above them. Yeah, I guess. You know, you you win against each one, but you got to win each one, right? Um, right. You, you don't really have a lot of margin for for error. Um, I guess there's two games against Louisville, so that would be outright. It, it, it's tough, you know. It, it's tough. Absolutely. I think that about wraps it up for volleyball talk. So let's start wrapping things up for today. I think we're already at like an hour and thirty minutes in terms of record time. So. Ooh, we had a lot of football to get through. Some news and notes from elsewhere around the flats. Baseball had another exhibition uh, this weekend. That was versus UAB at the same time as Mini 500. I did not see a result or anything from that. Maybe I saw like a 7-4 win on Instagram, but I, I don't remember exactly. Um, Danny Hall was also named an honorary Georgia Tech alumnus, so congrats to him. Uh, basketball is going to be in season starting this week at the end of the week women's basketball has their home opener versus what is only labeled as georgia college uh and i was no, not this aware is, that oh, this uh yeah this is the gcsu that this is the Mill this is milledgeville this is the exhibition match both them and the men have exhibitions mm. the official official start is next monday at 11 a.m against coastal carolina do we talk about that I wonder if they're trying to do like a oh we're doing twenty four hours of games or something. Uh yeah, something uh, something funny. I haven't I looked at the schedule say, though. My thought was going to be like maybe you got like APS, some of the private schools, some of the 
you know, Fulton or DeKalb or something like that, field district day, wide, yeah. like field trip day or something, but that, that still very, be... very yeah. odd. Um, I will note that the men are playing Clark Atlanta, um, which between that and GCSU, those are interesting local uh, games, but, you know, again, they're exhibitions. So um, weird, weird start to the year. Uh, Clark uh, and GCSU being intriguing exhibitions, but other than that, I mean, we're kind of, uh, we're, we're going full throttle into into these winter sports and, and things are really starting to spool up. So, Yeah, so that women's basketball game is Thursday, November 2nd at 7 p.m. And then the men's basketball exhibition versus Clark Atlanta, that's Wednesday, November 1st at 7.30 p.m. Both games, obviously, at McCamish, McCamish Pavilion. Excuse me. Uh, and final news a note that I have, club hockey went one and one versus Tennessee this past weekend. Uh, I had the scores in front of me, and now, now they have disappeared. Oh, I think but, they won 4-1 and then lost 7-4, something like that. Yeah, something something along those lines. But a, a good weekend for them, um, and we'll, I think they're, they're right around the end of their season, too, yep, right? They are. Um, yeah, talking about tournament time so we'll have an update on that hopefully next week we'll, we'll do a little bit more digging gentlemen it's time for the acc tasting menu we're going to start this week on thursday november 2nd at 7 30 on espn wake forest plays duke in another clash of the research triangle variety mr purdy who do you have for me both Duke and North Carolina left the rankings, which means the state of North Carolina is out of the college football rankings, but I'm still taking Duke in this case. Duke is favored by 11 and a half in this game, by the way. Friday, November 3rd at 7.30 on ESPN2, Boston College visits Syracuse. Syracuse is a three and a half point favorite, Mr. Grant. Uh, dare we say that Boston College has some of the dreaded proof of concept type action going for them? I think they've kind of acquitted themselves well uh, after starting with a, a season opening loss to NIE there. They're five and two cents. So um, give me uh, give me Boston College. I think that I think that might be an interesting one to to watch for a Friday night slate game. Nooner on ABC. Notre Dame attempts to make Clemson four and four. Five. Notre Dame is a three-point away favorite. Nishant, what do you have for me? Hey, you remember when uh, this was the ACC title game a few years ago in the season that made no sense? <laughs> oh, my God, right. <laughs> the rematch game there that year, too, right? Yeah, they played yeah, twice. It was, it was. And they uh, Clemson won the one that mattered more. Um, anyway, yeah, that was those were a couple fun games. Uh, I suspect this will be less fun. I, I think Notre Dame handles it. Sam Hartman might wipe the floor with this Clemson team, which will be cathartic in many ways. I am surprised the spread is as small as you said. Like, I would comfortably take Notre Dame in this one, but I have been known to be wrong. I've got a question um, looking ahead. Do you think a a Clemson in the world where they lose this game, potentially moving them then to to four and five, that has to have some sort of interesting implication for for the Tech-Clemson game the week after, right? Like, that... I can't be the only one thinking that. It's Look, not a- I believe in taking these things one week at a time. Don't quote what I project. said back to me. Don't Thanks, quote what I said back to me. <laughs> Sean, go ahead. I was just not saying thanks, Coach. But um, 
I, you know, if, if, if we were playing them in game number 11, I would, I would be kind of smiling as I look at that. Um, but I am thinking about it. I am thinking about it, Jake. We are, we are monitoring the situation, if you will. We, we, we have our flight trackers on. Uh, moving forward to a nooner on ACC Network, Campbell will play uh, newly minted, not ranked North Carolina. There's no spread on this one because it's Campbell versus North Carolina. Mr. Purdy? Uh, Campbell baseball might put up a, a fight against North Carolina baseball, but that's about it there. So, uh, yeah, I, I do not think the team from Lillington will do anything against North, the Tar Heels. Womp, womp. Uh, 3.30 on ESPN, Florida State visits Pittsburgh. Florida State is favored by 22 and a half. Mr. Grant. Uh, yeah, that's not particularly close. Florida State, send it. Uh, if there is bad weather in Pittsburgh, like there was today for Jags Steelers, I wonder what what happens there. It could turn into a rock fight, but that's my personal opinion. 3.30 p.m. on the ACC Network. This is looking like a battle for the two-seed in the ACC championship game. Nishan, Virginia Tech visits number 15, Louisville. Louisville favored by 10 and a half points. I don't, I mean, it, I mean, my pick has to be Louisville in this one, especially after what they did this past week, shutting out Duke. But, you know, one of these teams is a Coastal Division alumnus. I did not expect this to be a fun game to watch like a month ago, but it actually might be. The chaos is in the walls at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Purdy, you have the last game on our schedule, 8 p.m. ACC Network, Miami versus NC State. Miami is a four-point road favorite at Carter-Finley Stadium. What Hmm. say ye? Let's remember, too, collectively, that – we don't know who we're playing in football next year or the seven years after that, but we're going to find out tomorrow night. Uh, that's going to be a very fun time to see how and why we're playing Stanford probably three times at Stanford in five years or something crazy like that, even though that's not what they said is going to happen. Uh, my actual pick for this game is Miami. Uh, NC State, not 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 great. They, they, they're not great. So, and Miami, not great. Bowl champs, though. They'll take that to their graves. That they will. That they will. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. This will be a fun uh, exercise for us to do next year when, you know, we have to figure out why the stadium at Cal is going to crack under pressure of the tectonic plates during our game or something like that. That's a terrifying thought that I'm now going to have an existential crisis over off air. Single picks a week time uh, in lieu of that. Mr. Grant, what do you have first off the dome for me? Yeah, I've got uh, an interesting one this week. I try not to pick um, anything involving a ranked team. I try not to pick anything um, that I've repeated from earlier in the season. Uh, that said, I'm circling around to uh, Louisiana Monroe, uh, who's t- two and six at Southern Miss, who's one and seven. Uh, I don't think Southern Miss has really worked out the way they thought it would. Um, and this seems to be, um, if anything, uh, a certainly, uh, to borrow a phrase, rock fright rock fighty type game uh down there in uh in the deep south so that's that's what i got mr purdy this is not exactly sicko as much as just this isn't an aac game this is not a big east game this is not a any other conference game this is a big 12 game and that is the cincinnati bearcats at ucf golden knights it's just still laughs it makes me laugh that this is a matchup that will happen every year 
and here we are. It's it has to happen, and so it's happening. Couldn't care less who wins that game. It's kind of disgusting. Uh, as is, I believe, Nishant's pick for single pick of the week. Right. So somehow has Nebraska has five wins. I don't know how that is possible at this point, but they do uh, anyway. They're playing Michigan State. That sounds about as unappetizing as it gets, except for one game, which I think you're about to bring up most. Oh, buddy. Yes, but before we get there, do you think if Nebraska wins this game to make a bowl for the first time in many, many moons, do they celebrate Scott Frost Day again? I mean, it's it's always Scott Frost Day, though. It is we always celebrated Scott it yesterday. Frost. It is always Scott Frost Day. Happy Scott Frost Day, everyone. But let's talk instead about another very terrible, terrible football criminal in uh, Kirk Ferentz and his son, Brian. Iowa goes to Northwestern next weekend at 2.30 on Peacock. This one is actually at Wrigley. So uh, <laughs> if you were if you liked a lot of the bad baseball that was played at Wrigley this year, well, you're going to get more bad football. There might be a baseball score in this game. That is true because Iowa's favored by six points and the over-under is 30 and a half. <laughs> I have never <laughs> seen an over-under this low. Give me Bracey, Bracey give me, boys. How uh, how are we going to talk bad baseball? The World Series going on right now. Neither of us are in it. Go down. Neither of us are in it. Go down. Neither of us are in it. Small Please violin. continue to Sorry. eat at Arby's, Mister Grant. Please continue no. to eat no. at Arby's. But yes, Iowa Northwestern. The quest to what is it like two thirty five for Brian Ferentz to keep his job is still alive. Uh, there's three twenty five. Three twenty five. Make it to two thirty five at this rate. Right. God, that they are so bad. They are so so bad. But yeah, that is going to be a terrible, terrible football game uh, in uh, or at Wrigley Field. I think that about wraps it up for us today. No trivia. We're almost at two hours of recording, so we'll take care of that next week. Mr. Grant, wrap us up. Yes, thanks as always for tuning in. Uh, we know this is a long one. There was a lot to talk about, and somehow we probably still could have gone another two hours if we really were into it. Um, that said, uh, you can always find us uh, from the rumbleseat.com. Uh, uh, we post these uh, podcasts there, but also the other great content that the site produces. You can email us uh, with any comments, questions, suggestions at from the rumbleseat at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at FTRS blog. Uh, I am at Shake Grant. Jack is at Jack Nicholas. You can find section 103 there as well uh, at section 103, section103.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at from the rumbleseat and these podcasts, wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Sean, thanks for coming on. Uh, and uh, as always, uh, you know, listeners, tell, tell your friends, um, you know, give us a, a like, a comment, not comment. This isn't YouTube, but well, you can comment on the website. We we take that too. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, best way to uh, spread this uh, kind of stuff around is for uh, word of mouth. But uh, I'll, as always, let us know what you want to hear from us as well. In the meantime, we'll talk to you next week. Good night, good luck, and go Jackets. Oh.